Welcome to the Boil Dow Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam. Sam, what's shaking? All four cheeks and a couple of chins. <laughs> I've heard that before. My, I learned that. It, it totally struck me when I heard it on Cheers so, so long ago. Do you remember that sitcom? Yes. George Went came walking in. Norm, everybody yelled, what's shaking? And he was like, all four cheeks and a couple of chins. And I loved it. And it totally well, stuck in I've my brain. I've gotten to the place. I've got a couple of chins. So... <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, the, the pandemic has had that effect on a lot of people. <laughs> yep, but I'm doing okay because uh, I woke up and looked at my uh, iPad and it said that my screen time was down 10% and my spiritual fitness was up 20%. So, Hmm, I wonder if there's a correlation there. That's a nice feature of that app to tell you your spiritual fitness. Hmm. It's in your brain, Don. <laughs> It would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be really awesome to be able to, to know that I'm going to go into something, uh, something tricky, uh, you know, a business meeting or, or deal with something in life that I really need to be up on my spiritual fitness about. Yeah, like you got to go into a bar. This is not a good day for you to have this negotiation or not. <laughs> Just Absolutely. check your app. Sam, it's really not a good day for you to get in a car. Yeah, you, know, you just look at your app and say, what's my spiritual <laughs> I don't know. This sounds like something that could be uh, offered from the same company that offered the sponsor schmonsor app. It's like our sponsor schmonsor. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. It's kind of like OK Goober. Are you tired of talking to your sponsor, a real person who doesn't understand you or even worse, understands you too well? Do you want to live in a virtual reality where you can seem sober without all the discomfort of looking at your behavior? The Sponsor Sponsor Company has the answer. OK Goober, the virtual sponsor app. OK Goober won't hang up the phone with remarks like, call me back when you prayed about it. No more accountability. No more rigorous honesty. Just ask OK Goober anything and get vague answers that you can manipulate in your mind any way you choose. OK Goober, should I pick up a start over chip just because I smoked pot? Do you think that's wise? OK Goober, must I break up with my girlfriend just because of my wife? To thine own self be true. OK Goober, do I really have to pay back that asshole? Do you think that's wise? Okay, Goober, should I lie about all my DUIs? To thine own self be true. Okay, Goober will co-sign all your bullshit. And you can feel good about it until your next drink. Download Okay, Goober, the virtual sponsor app today. Do you think that's wise? Sponsor, sponsor, and all its products are not approved by Alcoholics Anonymous. And since they are not real, they probably will not work. <laughs> <laughs> okay goober i was just saying i really wish i had that app to make sure that i'm ready for this podcast 
Well, Katie, welcome to the show. I would say introduce yourself, but I just did. <laughs> Hi, Katie. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Really glad to have you with us. Yeah, well, thank you for inviting me. Katie, when did you get sober? Uh, my sobriety date is December 5th, 2005. And... What was going on with you inside at the time that you decided to come to AA and give up drinking? Well, let's just put it this way. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, that old black and white movie, Night of the Living Dead, oh. where people are oh, yeah. just kind of walking around in, in our zombies. And uh, that was me, you know, that was me at the end of my drinking. My... Uh, Sobriety date is uh, right after Thanksgiving time. And at Thanksgiving time, my, uh, my parents had been visiting. And I remember my dad saying to me, Kate, don't get me anything for Christmas this year. All I really want for you to stop drinking. And I remember my heart sinking, thinking, oh, dad, dad, anything but that. Because I knew I had tried for so long to stop drinking. I absolutely knew that there was no way I could do that because I had tried, like the big book talks about, I tried everything um, to control or stop my drinking. And um, my organs were failing. I was mm. pretty much trying very hard to maintain my, my teaching job. And I, I was trying very hard to keep, keep going, but it was getting more and more impossible. Um, so that was Thanksgiving time. And my sobriety tells you how quickly I, I hit my bottom. And I got to that place where I knew that drinking wasn't working for me anymore. I wasn't, I wasn't getting any kind of uh, ease or comfort from it. I went straight from bad DTs into blackout, and that cycle just kept, uh, kept repeating itself until I decided I had to take my own life. So uh, uh. I... Uh, but but that decision, it, I, I love when I get a chance to tell my story because it always strikes me as so funny. My uh, my kids actually had the opportunity once to uh, hear me tell my story. And part of my story up until that point was always about how I was going to take my own life and I didn't tell anybody about it, but I just couldn't quite do it because I didn't want to leave a mess for my children. And out of the blue, an intervention showed up and I was whisked off to detox. And that's my, how, you know, and my, my kids afterwards said, mom, you really should be more truthful when you tell your story. And I said, what, what did I, what did I lie about? And they said, well, you called all of us. <laughs> you, you, told, you told everybody. I was like, oh, shoot. It was, you know, I was in a blackout, but, um, but that, that was it. I mean, the gig was up for me. Uh, you know, well, I, that, that's a serious bottom when you're, uh, when you're talking about the, I think in the big book, it talks about the final sacrifice or something like that. Oh, yeah, that, that yeah. is correct. And, and Katie, that's part of my story, too. I, um, I had tried suicide several times throughout my life, you know, starting as a teenager. But uh, that last time was, uh, you know, I had, I had done the vacuum cleaner hose on the exhaust one time and, and sat in the car for like three hours. And it's like, well, this isn't working. So I bundled everything up and went home. Well, I decided I'm going to tape up the cracks this time. And uh, <laughs> wow. so like three o'clock in the morning, drunk and, and just miserable and knowing that there is no end to this that doesn't involve me dying. I did the vacuum cleaner on the hose and taped up all the cracks and sat in that car and could not pass out. 
and could not catch my breath. So I opened the door and fall out. Gosh. Get my breath, get back in the car, do it again, (laughs) open the door, fall out, get my breath, get back in the car, do it again and open the door, catch my breath and fall and fall out. That that sounds like drinking. Yeah, really. (laughs) And, and it was just, I mean, frankly, Yes, we have, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, I, I can't quote the big book at the moment, but we laugh about the, 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 the worst things. Oh, we know? do. It really, we do. It, be, it, it became comedic. I mean, yes. it, when I look at that, I mean, it's like, can't even kill yourself. Open the door and fall out, get back in, try it again. Open the door, fall out, get back. And, and it was just, that was my experience. So I bundled everything up, went and laid down on the sofa and got up sober as a judge in time to go to work. Yeah. And went back yep. to A. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, you, I'm glad you mentioned that about how we laugh at these, these sordid things. Um, that's one of the things that first uh, endeared me to AA was the fact that, uh, you know, people weren't laughing at someone. They, we were laughing together because we had been lifted up and out, you know. We'd been lifted up and out, and, and, and none of that uh, took, took place, you know. None of that took place. It, it, uh, for me, it has a happy ending, um, my story. Uh, and had you heard I, of AA? I had, um, I had, I had a couple of friends that, uh, I, that I knew, uh, one extended family member and a, a husband of my best friend that had, uh, gotten sober in AA, uh, quite frankly though. And I knew of AA because the church that I went to, um, they met in the basement. Um, and I remember on, Wednesday nights when I was in church choir practice, I would hear them down there and I'd hear them laughing and clapping. And I'd think, Oh, those poor people. They think they're <laughs> poor people having fun. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Laughing and clapping. Right. They, they can't possibly be having any fun because the party's over for them. Right. Yes. Um, you know, meanwhile, I'm sitting there uh, still, still semi drunk from the wine I drank before I came to choir practice. It's like, really? <laughs> oh my gosh. It's just, oh, well. But, judging uh, others, yeah. Right. And, you know, thinking that I, I knew that, you know, the party was over for them. I still remember the first AA meeting that I went to after I got out of detox. I remember thinking, oh, boy, you know, I was, I, I knew the party was over, you know. And early December, you know how many Christmas parties there are? And it was a Friday night, and I was going to go to a meeting, and I thought, oh, these poor people, when I get there, they're going to be so sad because they can't go to a party. And I was just resigned to that because I, you know, my personality is not one that would ever be depressed or commit suicide. That is just not who I am. I have never been a pessimist in any way. So, you know, that just tells you what, what alcohol did to me at the end of my drinking. But now I was resigned. You know, I'm a hard worker and I am going to make this thing work and I am not going to drink again. And I'm, I'm going to do this AA thing. I was resigned to a life of misery. (laughs) Oh, yes. Right? One long gray day, but I'm going to do it. Oh, yeah. You know, so, (laughs) you know, so so I go into my very first meeting in a a church and it was snowy outside and cold and dark. And I just thought I was going to go into this gray cave and I will never forget how I felt. I, you know, I liken it to the, the Grinch, you know, the Grinch stole Christmas. Mm-hmm. You know, I walked in and I was so shocked at what I saw. I was like, these people aren't sad. 
they're glad. And everyone was laughing, just like we laughed about such horrible things about <laughs> failing at suicide. Yeah. And they were just joyful. And I became addicted to AA from that mo moment on. I became so joyful that, oh, well, this isn't going to be miserable after all. And it has been the antithesis of miserable. It has been the opposite for me. It's been one big joyful ride. And I had no clue that's what I was expecting. Yeah. Right? It's absolutely powerful. It is. I have a, a former sponsee who um, we, uh, he went to uh, online meetings uh, long ago uh, before, uh, before the pandemic. Absolutely. I mean, uh, what, 10 years ago, but uh, 60 days into his sobriety, he decided to go to his first physical meeting. And he went to the church, opened the door and heard all this laughter down the steps and thought, there's no way this can be the right place. And to his surprise, his joyful surprise was this group of people who were doing exactly what you were just describing, Katie, um, yeah. just absolutely enjoying life and being there with each other. And it was an incredible experience to hear him talk about that and to be there when he came for that first meeting. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I want to point out because, um, you know, we've got listeners, we got listeners around the world uh, at this point, which is way cool. That was unexpected. Um, mm -hmm. A lot, but not all of AA meetings in, uh, in the U.S. Are, in, are held in church basements. Mm -hmm. um, but AA rents that meeting space from those churches. They are, AA is not affiliated with the churches. We are not a religious organization. Um, it's just that uh, churches are very kind to, uh, to community organizations, period, and, uh, and, uh, and will often rent meeting space to AA groups. Yeah. Yeah, at a good rate. I had yeah. to find a new spot for our meeting and we went around trying to, you know, go to different places to rent a meeting room once a week. And it's, you know, it's the churches that as service work, let AA have a room at a, you know, reasonable rate. Yep, they do. That's true. But, well, so you were already going to church. <laughs> I was until going to church got in the way of my drinking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was, I taught Sunday school drinking. Oh, and, I did too. <laughs> and I was good. And I would, I remember one day so sick. I'm determined not to be an alcoholic. So I'm going to do this. And I showed up there and I was, had all these little kindergartners around like knee level all around me in a circle, Mr. Morgan, Mr. Morgan. And I was having like waves of nausea and cold <laughs> sweat breaking out and going, it's little children, you know, trying to be patient. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. I should have been in the emergency room. I was so mm. sick, <laughs> but you know, you know, I'm not an alcoholic, so I had to do it. You know, it's so, it's so funny how uh, I also was in a church choir and I would sit there reeking of alcohol on Sunday mornings and, and being all pious. And I, and I remember as I was in my robe and being a part of that kind of feeling uh, a little bit powerful that I could be both. I could be really bad the night before, right? And then I could do this whole pious thing and that I could live that double life. Um, 
And I, I didn't realize it at the time. It wasn't something that I was aware of. But um, I, I, I really seemed to kind of feel like I had some kind of power. However, when the minister would say during a prayer, if there's anything uh, speaking to that higher power that is a barrier between us and you, please help us lift it. And I remember thinking, oh, maybe just maybe this alcohol thing might be a barrier. I remember having that. Oh. You identified it. You yeah, identified but you. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to accept it because yeah, turn away. Uh-huh. I, you know, to me, it was still fun, and I uh, I still thought I was having a good time. You yeah, know, it was still working. And and yeah. it, it you know there were some happy fun times drinking. I'm not going to make it sound like it was all miserable. I was one of those that had to kind of work hard at alcoholism. I did not have a drink and then immediately black out. It, it affected me in a positive way. And, and I waited till I was of legal drinking age to have my first drink, you know? And I remember that sense of ease and comfort and saying, I think I'd like to do that again. Yet that- it ended with suicide. Exactly. Yeah. It, it took you to that point. And it's, but it's such a tricky thing because it even, for me, even at the end, I still thought it was the one thing that was holding me together. Yes. Yes. I did God, too. That's exactly right. It was my answer. It was my solution to, to things. It was the it was the glue that held my world together. And so the idea of giving it up was terrifying. It Absolutely. Was. I said it was the only thing that made life tolerable. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That that's what those were the words that came out of my mouth to my mother and to others. And and it was that thing of you know, I know this is wrecking. This is completely ruining my life, but it's the only thing that makes life tolerable. Yeah. Yep. And you get to that. I can't live with it and I can't live without it point. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to that today because I see a lot of people who come in before they get to that point and they sometimes really question, am I really an alcoholic? Boy, I, by the time I came in, there wasn't a question. So I, you tried other things. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I tried controlling it. I tried putting, (laughs) you know, the idea of putting ice in it to make sure that it was diluted, uh, making, drawing lines in the sand with myself. You will (laughs) not have a glass of wine until eight o'clock at night period. And how about whiskey and milk? Did you do that? (laughs) (laughs) Everybody reads that part in the big book and they all say, that sounds crazy. And I said, no, not to me, actually. (laughs) I've told this story before on the podcast, but I was, was like, I did all those controlling things. And one of them, one night, this was hilarious. I had a bottle of Clos de Bois wine, the Chablis, and it was like, I was drinking it down. I said, okay, I'm going to drink it to the top of the sea. And that's all I'm going to have. That's about half a bottle. And I drank it and I got a little bit more on the last one. And I looked at it and I'd gone a little bit below the sea. So I kept drinking. I was painting in my studio and finished off that bottle, opened up another bottle and drank it down to the top of the sea. And I felt <laughs> really good about that. Like, okay. <laughs> you know, I quit right at the top of the sea. <laughs> what is going on? Now there's, there's a whole lot of uh, metaphorical humor there. because <laughs> Your head was just above water, above the sea. Get it? <laughs> That's right. Well, Katie, Katie, what was something that in working, once you got into the steps and started working the steps, what was one of the 
times where something happened to you that was like this, I never thought this was going to work and this is working. I, I had a hard time with uh, step two, mainly because I was a church goer. So I said, step at, two at, came to believe that a power greater than our st- ourselves could restore us to sanity. Uh, yeah. And especially when I was told to read the big book, um, I was, you know, I'm a school teacher, so I was looking for the textbook thing, and I, I was trying to find where step two was, and, but uh, yeah, that idea of came to believe, I didn't think I needed to come to believe, because I was a churchgoer, so I believed in God, and when I got to the chapter in the big book that said, we agnostics, I can skip that part, because I am a believer, I'm not an agnostic, and uh so I, I, I really struggled with that with my, with, with my sponsor. I said, you know, I don't feel like I need to come to believe. I, and I'm really not sure I'm crazy. I'm just a nice woman who drinks too much. But, um, <laughs> and I don't think I really need that chapter of We Agnostics. And she pointed out to me that um, something about the word agnostic and being a language teacher, it really struck me. You know, A, the stem A means not. And the, the G-N-O is related to the Greek for K-N-O-W, no. And I realized that, and it, uh, you know, when it says we agnostics, it doesn't say you agnostic or I was an agnostic. It says we. And really what that means is when we come in to AA, that we are not knowers. We're not knowers. Not that we don't believe, right? It's that we don't know the power. We are not plugged into the power to keep us sober. Uh, What that power is, uh, some people call it God. Some people just see the power of AA. But whatever the power is, we don't have it. We're not plugged in. It's like trying to turn on a light, a lamp, without being plugged into the socket. And once I understood that the purpose of working the steps is to plug into a power that could keep me sober, I was able to read We Agnostics. And I was able to see that my belief had nothing to do with it. I wasn't plugged in because if I was, I would be able to stay sober. So that really helped me get on to step three. But where I really struggled in my program early on was the idea of turning it over. I really struggled with that. I was not necessarily ever considered consider myself a human being. I was a human doing, and I knew that I could, if I asserted my will into a situation, I could take care of things. And I was, uh, and I would go into meetings and I would say, what does this mean? Turn it over. I don't understand what that looks like. Is when I'm faced with something in front of me, I'm just supposed to have this cosmic pancake flipper that I, (laughs) and I just flip it over. Is that what it looks like? What does that look like? And you know what you all said to me in that meeting? You all smiled at me and said, keep coming back. And I was <laughs> Which like, is the AA version of bless your heart. That's- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Instead of saying, yeah, you need a spiritual flipper. That, that didn't help me at all. In the meantime, my will was getting, in me, getting me into a lot of trouble. I was doing things impulsively. I was really struggling with hitting send on that email or leave, sending that text. And my, my sponsor would say, Kate, you got to quit doing this because 
uh, we haven't even gotten to the fourth step yet. You have enough stuff in that trailer that you're dragging around behind you. You don't need to add more. You need to stop being impulsive. And I couldn't. I just couldn't. I just... And she said, we're not going to be able to go any further. I was stuck on the third step of turning my will and my life over. I could not stop. And so she said, you got to pray. You must pray in order to stop being impulsive. Now, I have learned since to be really careful about what I pray for, because (laughs) when it is a matter of life and death, which for me, I firmly believe it was, I think if I had kept on being self-sufficient and not learning how to just pause when agitated or doubtful and wait, I, I, I really feel like I, I would not be here with you today. I, that, so that was, a, that was a stumbling point for me. I found something in the 12 and 12 that said, God, grant me the grace to find the space between impulse and action. Mm-hmm. And that was a great little prayer. And I always said it the minute after I hit send. <laughs> yes, you got to do it. Right? Yeah, I get I mean, it. Oh my gosh, yes. I, I, I was like, and she said, Kate, you got to keep praying. So I prayed. Well, uh, my higher power sent me a message that to this day has completely changed me in a way that it allows me to slow down and pause when agitated or doubtful that nothing else could work. I was, um, at that point, I was living um, uh, in, a, in a home that had a master bedroom that the screened in door at the, in the master bedroom opened to the outside, it opened to the backyard. And at that point I had a little dog who was ancient and she was incontinent, meaning she couldn't always control when and how she went to the bathroom and she was mostly blind. So we would always leave the screen door open a crack so the dog could come and go during the night and go outside and relieve herself and then come back in. Well, one night in the middle of the night, I was awakened by something that was so not a smell. Um, And the dog was barking like crazy. And if you have ever had a live skunk blow close to you, you know, there's no smell at all. It's just a horrible burning sensation and choking and gagging. And I thought, oh my gosh, my dog just chased the skunk out of my bedroom, you know? And the, oh, the bedroom stunk to high heaven. So for a couple of days, I left the screen door closed and stayed elsewhere in the house because it was so bad, right? So a few days goes by, the smell is dissipated. I'm back in that bedroom, this time keeping the door closed because I do not want that skunk to try to come back in, right? And I'm sleeping peacefully, and I hear my cat scratching at the closet door. So I get up, I go over to the closet, I open that door to let the cat out, and I get back into bed. It's pitch black. I get back into bed. I'm laying there, and I hear the scratching at the screen door. So I go charging around the end of the bed to yell at the cat, only to find myself face-to-face with a live skunk in my bedroom. Now It was in the closet? (laughs) It was in the closet. Now, I know what a skunk smells like now, so I want nothing to do with agitating it. So I back out of the bedroom. I close the door. It's about six o'clock in the morning. I call animal control. At this point, I'm envisioning a whole family of skunks has moved into that closet because they are, they've set up camp in there and I need them to come remove these skunks. So I'm talking to the people at animal control and explaining everything that happened. And I'm all agitated and crazy. And 
In his deep southern drawl, the man said, Ma'am, you've got it backwards. The dog did not chase the skunk out of your bedroom. Your dog chased that skunk in. It just wants out. I said, fine, come get it. I want it out now. And he said, no, no, ma'am. You need to leave the screen door open. Now, it, they are nocturnal, so he is not going to leave until nighttime. But you just leave it open, and that skunk will leave of its own accord. I said, I am not leaving a skunk in my house all day. You need to come get him now. And this is where my higher power spoke to me in that deep. I was wondering door. about this, <laughs> where the higher power is going to come in on this story. <laughs> my higher power through this gentleman in animal control said, ma'am, we don't poke a skunk. <laughs> and I still keep my little skunk with me. <laughs> You're holding up a skunk. I a have skunk. my little skunk. It's, it's a stuffed animal skunk, y'all. It's, yes. it's, it's a little toy. <laughs> it, and it, is, it was a gift given to me as when I was uh, uh, first elected into my current service position. And I was able to tell my story. And it's even got my little logo on it about rocketed into a fourth dimension. And... Um, this little skunk reminds me <laughs> not to poke the skunk. And I can't tell you how many times I've written an email or I've, I've decided I'm going to say something. And then I ask myself, do you really want to poke that skunk? Because it's going to stink. And I'll tell you what, that man was right. All I had to do was leave it alone. And it left of its own accord. You had to let go. I had let to let skunk. go. Let go and let skunk. <laughs> And, you know, to pause when agitated or doubtful, yeah. for me, mm. I still say to myself, you're going to poke a skunk. And there have been times that I have decided to do that. I remember not long ago, I told my service sponsor, I think I'm going to poke a skunk here. And he said, well, you know what happens when you poke a skunk. And I said, yeah, I think this is important enough to me. You know, and I acted fully knowing what the consequence was going to be, right? And I, and I learned another lesson, as I do often in service in AA, that I, I didn't like it. I didn't like mm. it. So you were in a church when you came in. You believed in God. You know, I, I had the hardest time with the idea of a, a higher power and surrendering to a higher power. It was really difficult for me, and it was downright painful for me to pray the first time because mm -hmm. I just did not believe I was going to pray to something. I, I was going to be a hypocrite. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you're, you came from inside of a church. It sounds like that you were actually involved with and had a relationship yeah. with God. So what was your I, struggle with it? I felt like God. I believed in God. I had prayed to God and I had had my prayers answered in all kinds of weird ways. I, I saw miracles. I'm one of those people that I've actually witnessed real miracles. And so I knew that there was a power out there that, uh, that could be accessed, right? Before it was coming to AA. I did. I did. Yeah. And, I would, and I would pray to God to help me get sober. Um, I just didn't want it to be by AA. I wanted God to zap me sober, um, like a giant roto-rooter, just clean it out, right? Mm -hmm. I just wanted it to be gone. But my God that I believed in was way up in the stars. I, I knew there was a, a universal power out there 
I didn't realize that it could flow through me. I didn't realize that it was something that I, that it was personal, that I could actually experience inside of me. And that's what AA has shown me. It's not some out in the stars, uh, God that, uh, like a giant Thor, uh, it's, mm-hmm. you know, my higher power and it's in, and I had it so my God was so small and that, uh, that my higher power now for me is woven in everything, every breath I take, every person I meet, you know, I, I try to see that that's all that power that it, it's woven. I love the way the big book talks about electrons being inside that prosaic steel girder mm-hmm. that's really mm-hmm. made of electrons all whizzing around that idea that God is. And for me, I had to realize that God really is love. So was it a matter of, so the first time that you prayed uh, in sobriety, just allowing for different expectations or what was different? What was different was, well, for one, I wasn't just praying to get myself out of trouble, which is where most of my prayers were before, mm-hmm. or to get somebody healthy. You know, I always had outcomes that I prayed. What changed for me was I started to pray the third step prayer. I started to pray differently. I started to pray, um, thy will be done. Yeah, that's, and help that's me different. To, mm-hmm. help, help me to accept your will. Mm-hmm. Not please make this happen because this is what should happen because I know. Right. Yeah. That's and, will. That's will. Uh-huh. Oh, I, mm. I am still the most willful person you will know. I still struggle. I, I'm, that's yeah. why my skunk stays with me. Cause I, it's still my number one thing. Um, and my sponsor will have to tell me, Kate, you put personalities in front of principles and you felt like your will told you that that was okay to do. And it wasn't okay to do, you know, and I, I didn't see that, you know, until I went to my sponsor and said, well, I poked a skunk and now it stinks and I don't feel good, you know, and I do, that's where the steps work. The steps work when we, when we open up and we allow the sunlight of the spirit to shine in. My God was one that I only saw when I went to church and that maybe was up there in the stars someplace. Yeah, you know, yeah it's I, a different thing. It's a, about, entirely different than I thought. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, my, you know, my sponsor to, said, God doesn't change others, God changes me. And yeah. if, you're, if your prayer is asking for, for help mm-hmm. and guidance, that will work. But yeah. trying to change the world, yeah. that's not where, where it is. Katie, I, so I got to go word nerd with you again. I identify as atheist. There is not an entity that is my higher power, but I do have a higher power. And that really flubs people up a lot. Um, It's, you know, much aligned with uh, the the concept of the force in Star Wars. Um, It's that thing that it's everywhere and it does show up in other people. And when I am quote unquote, attuned to it when I'm going along with the flow of the river rather than against it, all that kind of stuff, my life goes a lot more easily. Yes. Yes. But, and I love the controversial nature of it because you know, I like controversy of saying I'm an atheist 
because there You're are a praying lot of atheists. Exactly, like I, I, am, I am a praying atheist. It's like um, a fighting. But there are a lot. Of, yeah, <laughs> um, but there are a lot of people who come into these rooms who identify as atheists, and oh, yes. they need to know thank, that thank you can be. Thank goodness for that. Because the, think of the lives that would be yeah. that are spared because we have that openness of you can make your power whatever you want. You Absolutely. know, I, I can't tell you how many people I've sponsored who make their higher power the AA group. And you know what? That is just fine. That is just fine. I always tell them, don't make it me, though. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no one person. No, no one no. person. But a group, good orderly direction. Yeah. I love that one. Group right? of drunks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait. I love that you brought up rocketed into the fourth dimension. Mm-hmm. Don just brought up alien. You mentioned a service sponsor. Okay, okay. We do. Yeah. I Katie, do want to get to that. I know a secret about you. You're so, a delegate from Area 51. I am. Yes. I so am. So, what does that mean? Uh, Area 51, uh, North Carolina, is, uh, uh, is one of 93 areas in the U.S. and Canada. And uh, those areas each do elect a delegate to participate in the General Service Conference that takes place every year. And um, I've had the honor and uh, distinct privilege to serve in that capacity for the past uh, year and a half. I'm, I've only got a few months left in my term as delegate. Yes. And what's, so what's the job? What is it that you do? Uh, at the General Service Conference, that's where the business takes place for Alcoholics Anonymous in the U.S. and Canada. Um, you know, our General Service Office um, uh, and the General Service Board meets and the trustees at the bottom of our service triangle. Uh, that's where all the business uh, uh, transpires. Um, our service triangle is upside down from most uh, organizations. Most organizations have the corporate board at the top of the triangle. Uh, ours is upside down. The groups are the bosses in AA. And so, um, so let's say, for example, that somebody wants to change something um, in, uh, in the big book, right? Let's say somebody thinks so, there's something that needs to be changed in the big book. Uh, then that would that suggestion gets sent to the bottom of the triangle. The bottom of the triangle puts together the words about what that might look like and sends it back out to the groups. And as delegate, it's my responsibility to get an informed group conscience from all the groups in North Carolina about how they might feel about such a proposed change. And then I attend the conference and, uh, and, and represent that group conscience. So you carry the group conscience of like, I've, um, I'm a member of a home group and mm -hmm. my home group will vote on something that's coming up soon. Mm -hmm. Like, should we give virtual meetings an ID number? And I certainly hope that this is going to happen, but that's what I've got to bring up with my home group, mm -hmm. whether virtual meetings should be treated as face-to-face -face meetings and have an ID number and how are, how is that going to be put into the structure? They're going yeah, to, I are, think they're going to make another area as to what the proposal is. Well, there are several, there are several proposals coming out of more than one area around making sure that our virtual membership gets 
has a voice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what that would look like is uh, is very vague at this point. There are a lot of proposals, but the beauty of it is that's what our the bottom of the triangle is for. We have our trustees that comprise the general service board and 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 all these ideas that come from different areas around the U.S. and Canada go to them, and they are our trusted servants that help to take a look at what might that look like? How might that work? Right. So the ideas come from the group, then mm-hmm. go to the area and mm-hmm. the area delegate then takes that all the area delegates get together and take that to. Well, actually the, the area sends it directly to the bottom of the triangle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the bottom of the triangle, the general service board, they are the ones that would that would develop it uh, and come up with something that might be a proposal in the form of a proposed agenda item that then gets sent back up through the delegates. Yeah. Out and that's actually through the committees of the General Service Board. Yes, yes. Yep. So it's not have. just the board sitting there having a meeting that, oh, yeah, let's do it this way. But right. it's actually... It, it, it is a process. It's a fantastic experience. You said one thing that I really liked that uh, my ears always perk up, and that is that you represent the area con- group conscience at the General Service Conference. Um, and that is, uh, is another way of also stating, uh, or a part of that, is that you are informed, not instructed. And that's every single one of our trusted servants, right? Absolutely, yes. Um, the idea is that um, if I were instructed, there would be no need for me to even really go to the conference. I mean, I would just send my vote in, say this is what the area would like, and everything could be done digitally. And uh, but that's not how our our, our fellowship governs itself. Um, uh, our fellowship uh, leans heavily into the uh, the idea of discussion and debate and hearing other people's perspectives. And as a trusted servant, um, I, Area 51 trusts me to attend the General Service Conference with an idea about how, as, as informed as to what Area 51 feels about things. But while I'm there, there's a strong possibility I might hear a perspective that hadn't been voiced during all of our pre-conference sessions. And I, as a trusted servant, am given that opportunity to vote differently. Now, with that, though, carries a distinct responsibility to report back and to report back why I might have uh, voted differently than, uh, than the area had indicated. But it's that whole idea. It's called our right of decision. I am expected to uh, be open to hearing what other people have to say. And uh, give a, a practical, a, give a practical example of something that you've carried through. Something interesting that you've done that you've seen rise up from the meetings, go forward, and then come back. Oh, that's a tough one because I've had so much going on the last couple of years. This was an interesting year, especially since it was the very first virtual conference. It was a good Um, conference on Zoom. I thought it worked very well. I went as a GSR for my group. Um, 
one of the things that was really difficult this year is we had some powerful agenda items to consider. Things like um, uh, just making possible changes to the big book and, and possibly taking a look and doing an inventory of the language in the big book and considering uh, helping to make it more relevant, uh, to, to help change the language, to help people to be able to connect with it better, you know. Um, so, you know, and through the pre-conference process, I heard a lot of people on both sides, people saying that the, the reading level of the big book is sufficiently high, that it is excluding certain people from being able to get the message, especially people who are isolated or in remote areas or incarcerated. And if they're unable to read at the level that the big book is, 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 is written in, then they're unable to get the message. You're and not then, talking you, about just uh, outdated language. You're talking about the concepts, the way it's expressed. It's yes. uh, written at a reading level that is higher than the yes. average reading level. It tends to be written between an eighth and 11th grade reading level. And so if there's someone who's living in a remote area who's reading at a fifth grade level, there are concepts that person might have difficulty understanding. And hearing all the different uh, perspectives on that and how much passion there is in our fellowship for on one hand, wanting to make those changes, and on the other hand, wanting very much to keep it exactly how it is. And that's, you know, and, and people would say that that's the purpose of a sponsor. A sponsor helps, and a dictionary can help someone to understand the big book, and making changes to our basic text is, is, is quite frankly frightening to some people. And I was able to hear both perspectives. But one of the things, and I, I had the opportunity to serve, for example, as the literature committee uh, conference chair of the, of the committee, um, we could not address all the agenda items. There were 22 agenda items for that committee. And because of the condensed format this year, we were unable to address everything that was on our, our docket. So we had a meeting ahead of time to reduce our agenda. So many of the things ended up being forwarded to next year. And we basically ended up dealing mostly with things that were as a result of advisory actions from past years. Those carry a lot of weight because those things have been up and down the triangle enough that it, it was passed through the, uh, the conference. And uh, so those needed to be addressed. But one of the things I've, I'm really excited about is that our committee, rather than saying, yeah, we need to change it, we need to, we need to have a, a big book that's been translated into a lower lexile reading level for uh, you know, people to be able to access it, or any of the myriad solutions that were being suggested as a way to solve those issues, rather than doing that, our committee has requested something from the, the trustees. We have requested that a presentation be shared out with the fellowship about the nature of the problem. Yes. Well, I saw a video at the conference that yeah. someone, who was it that presented that? Yeah, we were able to actually get a, get a feeling for what that, what that presentation would look like that the trustees are currently still working on. I see. That's in Our development. It's in development. Our Southeast regional trustee came and presented it. And the idea is, and, and I, I love this about AA, we are not 
quick to poke skunks. <laughs> I, I heard someone say once, and I totally love this about the way we do things. Things move slowly in AA. They move exactly at the speed of trust. Hmm. And we need to be very careful to hear all the different perspectives, especially about our basic text. But the idea is people are not going to be able to form an informed decision on what to do unless they're fully informed about the nature of the problem. And so that's the first thing. So, you know, all this stuff about, oh, we need to get busy, we need to change it, has sort of slowed down to let's make sure that we all know what the problem is first. And then once everyone knows what the problem is, then we can begin to have dialogue about how best to solve it. If indeed there is a problem. You know, is people, there a video yet? They're working on it. It's Still part working of, on it. Yeah. It's, again, it's, it's going to be very carefully thought out. Um, one of the biggest benefits I've had is being able to work side by side with people that are at the bottom of the triangle is to see how thorough and how professional and how careful and how spiritual they are. Um, it's a, a beautiful thing to be able to experience, um, to see how, what great hands we're in. <laughs> you're, you're talking about this. I mean, to, now to take this back from service work just to my daily life and how to live is how to look at problems, assess what's going on, mm -hmm. not bulldoze mm -hmm. a solution, which is the way that I tend to operate, mm -hmm. but to step back, pause, examine, take, move at the speed of trust, mm -hmm. include my higher power in decisions, you know, just not bulldoze ahead. And invite in others. Mm. You know, for me, sometimes I, 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 it's one thing to invite my higher power in, but I find that our, my higher power speaks so well when we have discussion with multiple people. And, and sometimes that can look like debate, right? Mm -hmm. Sam knows what I'm talking about. We've well, seen. <laughs> well, absolutely. You know, one of the things I want to bring to this is um, there's a lot of contempt prior to investigation about general service. My experience in general service has proved to be one of the places that I have gotten the most growth in my life outside of AA. Yes. You know, alcohol and drugs are out of my life and, and working the steps of this program has, has absolutely taken care of that for me and given me access to a higher power. And this is a part of my life now, but working with people. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Now that is something that I learned hugely in AA in general service. And in doing this, I have gained so much of interacting with people outside of recovery as well. It's, it's an amazing gift. Yes. And that is absolutely true. Absolutely true. I, I always likened it to, I've had several different service positions. Each one has taught me something else about how to hear, how to hear other people and, um, and how to listen and, and how to, how, like, exactly like you said, how to slow down, how to slow down and just let things 
Yeah. I've grown up quite a bit as well, Sam, in, in, <laughs> in service work. I, I think for me, it was necessary. It always hurts my feelings when I hear people saying, oh yeah, well that politics, that's just for you. And I think I teach, I teach Robert's rules of order in my classroom, right? I'll never forget the first assembly I went to. And I, I, I turned to the person next to me and I said, wait a minute, there's no crying in Robert's rules of order. <laughs> 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 I mean, the whole purpose is so that it's all conducted cleanly and businesslike, but we have so much passion for our program, and that comes out in so many unique ways. And I have learned more about how to deal with others. You, you know what it's like when you first come into AA and you go into the meeting. For me, I'd sit there and I'd think, Oh, yeah, okay. I could feel all spiritualized in the meeting. I could be lifted up and out. And then the minute I'd go out, then life on life's terms would hit me in the face. And all my spiritual stuff that I felt oozing out of me in a meeting, I used to say, I just want to live in a meeting, you know? (laughs) But we don't get to live in a meeting, you know? We have to live out there. And I have learned more about how how to be a worker among workers and and how to how to move slowly and not poke the scum. <laughs> you know, one one thing I want to add to this real real quick, and and this is an absolute beauty uh, that I have witnessed really only in general service in in AA and CMA, and that is those heated debates, those flat out disagreements that happen in general service meetings and such. I love how we can have a break. We'll be in the midst of a heated discussion on something within an assembly, for instance. And then there is a break and we all go out into the hallway and get our coffee and whatnot. And we are friends. Mm -hmm. We take care. It it is civil. It is not, there is no ill will at all. And that is something that is just, it feels so unique to recovery for me. The other thing I love about the way we do things is in Robert's rules, it's the majority wins. Yay, we won. The minority loses. Oh, too bad, so sad. But in AA, we welcome the minority voice. And I think the most spiritual thing for me to see is to watch uh, something pass. The minority speaks. Somebody gets up to the microphone and talks about, well, you know, this is why I voted against it. And then somebody else does that. And then somebody who voted in the majority will go to the microphone and say, I make a motion to reconsider. And then the discussion opens up a groom and the whole wave completely goes the other direction. There is something so spiritual about watching that happen because what it tells us is that we have the capacity to be compassionate about one another and to hear each other and to be open-minded about maybe there's another way to look at this. You know, I often wish our real government could operate this way, you know, Mm. because it's, and I don't mean to get into politics at all, but it, it works for us. And, and it Mm. were, and I love the way you said that about how we are friends no matter what, because we all love, it's like, when, you know, we were in a shipwreck, right? And we're all floating around holding on to that flotsam and jetsam like they talk. We have something that saved our lives and lifted us up and out. And that common bond, that unity 
is what holds us together. Even if we disagree on things, right? We might disagree, but we still have that common love and that, and that compassion for one another. Yep. We're people who normally would not mix. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Right. Katie, I know that wild animals can be disturbing for you, but watch your head because here comes an owl. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for our old timers question. Who you calling an old timer? You. That's what happens if you don't drink and don't die. Well, no matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time. You can post a question at boiledowlaa.org. We have a question sent to us by Joyce. Joyce says, hi there. I'm a four-year recovered alcoholic and have had a trail of sponsors throughout my journey since stepping across the threshold of my first AA meeting. Question is, am I weird or what? I seek sponsors that live the steps slash program as laid out in the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Not that I think it's the only way for a drunk to get sober. However, for this drunk, it was and is how I got and stay this side of sober and sane, although that one's a day at a time practice. Sponsors start out okay. It's after the honeymoon. Either they chit chat like we are girlfriends or become more than a 12-step program sponsor and temperament flares with the slightest degree of non-conforming to their rules, not necessarily AA-based. Then there have been those that go outside AA, bringing step guides and studies that are controversial at best. I've had the longest sponsor relationship with two people in my six years of AA, one a woman and the other a man. Both of these have 20 plus years and neither of them go to regular meetings, rather they pop in now and then. Phone calls are the method used for sessions and both are not interested in one-on-one face-to-face before COVID hit us. I'm right now not working with a sponsor. I am aware this is not in accordance with what our fellowship shouts. Please answer my question as best you can. I am willing, open-minded, and working towards honesty. Enjoying today sober and free. Joyce. And the question is? Well, I would uh, would sum that up as um, I'm having difficulty with the way people sponsor. Yeah. What should I do? There... I understand that. I can understand that. I didn't like the idea of giving someone else permission to look at my behavior and comment on it. (laughs) (laughs) What if they were to tell me to do something I didn't want to do? (laughs) Oh, no, that's really hard. It's really a hard thing to accept. My ideas about how to live and my ideas about, particularly about how to live sober were wrong. And I had to let go of those ideas, which meant getting sober someone else's way. At the beginning, just even asking somebody to sponsor, for me, it was hard to ask a, a guy to sponsor. It's like asking a girl on a date. What if she says no? Oh, no. But... I bit the bullet and did it anyway. And each time I've gotten a new sponsor, I've had the same concern. The concern really now is when, what if they tell me to do something I don't want to do? And I've done it anyway. I like to say, 
I have a beautiful head of hair and you know, I, my hair, I've got wavy hair and you know, it's kind of long now in COVID. I can't get a haircut and it looks great. I'm told I have a ball spot. I, I can't see it. It's, it's invisible to me. I have a beautiful head of hair. But if I get an outside perspective, someone else who's not so invested into my beautiful hair as I am, <laughs> <laughs> I get an outside opinion. They might have a different opinion. <laughs> you might say, well, yes, you do. But, you know, you do have this ball spot. And uh, you might take that in consideration when you go outside in the sun, if you're going to be out in the sun all day and wear a cap. And just based on my knowledge, I might not make the best decision for myself. Mm -hmm. So I need outside dispassionate point of view on my life. And I still do, even after being sober for 25 years, I need someone else looking at my behavior and my life and allowing them to remark upon it and and judge it now it's okay to get a different sponsor if you if you're not connecting with a sponsor we do need to connect but if all the sponsors are not working out there's one person who's consistent in all of that and that's that's the person asking for the sponsor so it's just allowing someone else to remark. I, I don't know what I can say about all those individual cases, but I do know that it's important for me to, uh, to have an outside opinion. And, you know, and Katie was talking about where her higher power is, you know, and it's the same is true for me. My higher power is evidenced in other people. That's where I see it. And I've, and I've often said, I've got but one window onto the world. And when I have other, other people and I get other people's input, then I I'm get another view of what's going on out there. So I've just got this one window and I need those other points of view. What about you, Katie? What do you think about it? Oh, wow. Uh, I am an alcoholic and I can tell you this, Left to my own devices, I'm 100% sure that I would, I'm not, I'm not sure I would drink again. I can honestly say that, but I think I would get to that point with my character defects that I might be, go down that, don't go down that tunnel into depression. I really do feel like the purpose of working the steps in my life and staying in the middle of the program is to lift me up and out into a place of joy. And I, I can find a peace that surpasses human understanding when I stay in the middle. And for me, staying in the middle means working with a sponsor and working with sponsees on an ongoing basis. I will say I've changed sponsors. Uh, the first sponsor I had, oh my gosh, she was wonderful. I, 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 it's not that we, it didn't work out for us, it did. She kept me in the steps. She was always able to help me see my part in things, which is like Don was talking about his spot. But we became very close as friends. We, we hung out around uh, each other a lot. And so mutually, we agreed, time, to, time for me to move on to a different sponsor. So I'm just going to share what I look for when I went sponsor shopping, and I hope this will help you. And I have found a sponsor that absolutely works for me. She, she travels around the country now. Um, and so we m work remotely and it works out just fine. I have sponsees that I work with remotely. One of them I've been with since she first came in. 
uh, in 2006, and she's traveled around the world. And so it's funny that now I, people are being forced to work with sponsors and sponsees uh, remotely, and it's something that I'm, I'm very comfortable with. I've done fourth steps uh, via Skype. That's what we used before we had Zoom um, and, and all of that. But what I looked for, I looked for a sponsor who went to meetings on a regular basis. And I firmly believe for me, I need to be at meetings on a regular basis. So that was important to me. I also look for a sponsor that stayed in our literature. And I especially look for a conference approved literature, which this, this person Joyce referenced using things that were from outside of AA. And I, for me, Personally, I would not be comfortable with that. Now, a lot of people use those materials and they work great for them. I'm just speaking from my experience, strength and hope. I firmly believe that the answer is in this blue book and in the 12 and 12 and, and that's where my sponsor stays and that's where I stay with my sponsees as well. I also look for somebody who wasn't afraid to, to tell me the truth about myself. I've heard of people whose sponsors tried to sugarcoat things or make them feel better about themselves. And my sponsor doesn't, you know, she is not at all afraid to say, oh, well, that would be your pride and ego again. So we have work to do because <laughs> your pride <laughs> and ego are getting in the way again, you know? And, and th those are things I can't see. I can't, all I could see was that I was um, frustrated and fearful and angry at somebody because of something that was happening. And it took a sponsor to be able to show me what my character defect was. It took a sponsor to be able to show me, we've have work to do here, honey. Uh, you, this, this is a character defect that's causing your tummy to twist again. So let's get busy. Let's put pencil to paper. And I'll tell you why I'm so glad I made that choice and why I'm glad I have the sponsor I have. It's because when she asks me to do something, like right now, after we're done with this, I'm going to be listening to a speaker tape and then I have to do a fourth step on something that's been causing me a little bit of problem. And I'm not talking big problems, just tummy twist. And then she now wants me to share it with her and someone else that I trust in the programs because this is a, a you know, kind of expanding out a little bit, getting a bigger group conscience. Do I want to do those things? No, no. I, you know, I, part of me wants to say, oh, F it. I, you know what? I, my tummy's not twisted that bad, you know? <laughs> It'll go away. <laughs> It'll go away, right? I don't want to poke that skunk, but you know what? When the skunk is me uh, poking, ha it has to happen. And why do I do it? Why am I going to do it? Because, uh, you know, when Columbus first set out to sail, Everybody went, oh, no, he is going to fall off the earth. I've heard this analogy before, and it really works for me in my program. He's going to fall right off. And he, um, and he hoped, he, you know, he hoped he wouldn't, you know. But because he didn't, then other people that followed him had the faith. Oh, well, it worked for him. It'll work for me. That, I, I know that when I put pencil to paper on this and I do the steps according to the way they're written in our big book and I share it with my sponsor the way she tells me I need to share it, I know I'm going to feel better. I know it won't be immediate. It might be months from now. But I know from looking back at my past history that the more I keep the steps in integral to Everything I do, and I work with a sponsor, and I especially call her when things are troubling me, 
Um, sometimes I even call her when things are going well, just to make sure that I'm keeping <laughs> her looped in to what's happening in my life, right? We, we, we chat often. Um, I know that incrementally, I'm going to feel just a little better, that those wild upheavals that I used to have in early sobriety are now oscillating around a much smaller mean. And I, so I'm able to look in my rearview mirror and see how much better I've been feeling. So I would urge Joyce to keep looking for that sponsor and try to narrow those criteria. Should be somebody that regularly goes to meetings. Um, that that would this was what worked for me. That works the big book. It uh, works the program as it's outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and uh, someone that maybe isn't going to be your best friend. Um, that my my sponsor and I are very much. We love having dinner together and doing things together, but um, we are. It's it's that type of relationship that I know I can trust her not to be my buddy, but to be, to tell me the truth about me. Um, so I hope that helps Joyce. I know my sponsors helped me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Katie. You know, Joyce, thank you for writing to us. And uh, I, um, it is absolutely important to me to have a sponsor and for me to, uh, to work the steps with that sponsor. And this is something that, uh, that I had, to, uh, to make a choice. And that was to uh, restart my, uh, reset my sobriety date in 2012, because I, with my first sponsor, I, uh, I worked the steps and I got the results of the, of working the steps. And, uh, she was my sponsor for four years. And the only reason that that ended was, uh, she moved. And, uh, and so I got another sponsor and another sponsor and another sponsor over the course of several years. And in that time, I did not work the steps with any one of those sponsors. Um, I didn't ask to, I wasn't asked to. Um, and bad ideas sounded good. And, uh, and I um, started doing things my way and uh, poppers and diet pills became a part of my story. And, uh, and then I met someone in Crystal Meth Anonymous who uh, introduced me to a bunch of guys that instantly I was like, oh my God, these are my people too. And, uh, and then an awareness hit me. And that was, I could not tell these guys that I was sober. Um, and I needed to be able to do that. My integrity called it. So I got a new sponsor and uh, reset my sobriety date. And I worked the steps with that sponsor. And then I got another sponsor and I worked the steps with that sponsor. And I got another sponsor and I worked the steps with that sponsor. And I got another sponsor and I worked the steps with that sponsor. There's a pattern here. And now here in Palm Springs, California, I have yet another sponsor with whom I'm working the steps. Um, the interesting thing is that I saw another thing, another pattern. And that was that first sponsor that I got. I didn't ask her to be my sponsor. She offered. I had asked someone else that day. And Tiffany was part of my little crew that uh, I was hanging out with after meetings and such. And I was at dinner with, with her and the crew and, and spoke about having asked someone to be my sponsor. And he said, no. And, uh, and she was like, well, I'll be your sponsor. I'll be your temporary sponsor. And she was my temporary sponsor for four years. It was fantastic. It worked beautifully. The subsequent sponsors prior to my restart were me asking people directly if they would sponsor me. And what I found when I looked back on this is I was asking people that absolutely had what I wanted, but also who I wanted to impress. 
And so I was not as completely open and honest with them as I needed to be. I certainly, that last sponsor, when I was taking those diet pills and using poppers was not talking with my sponsor about that. Um, and so when I got, when I reset my sobriety date, a sponsor was given to me in that moment. When I sat with two men that I trust talking about this, um, both of them were like, well, I can't sponsor him. I sponsor you. Well, I can't sponsor him. I'm interested in him. And I'm like, well, and they were like, we got someone for you. Um, and so I, I got that sponsor and then I got the next sponsor and the next sponsor and the next sponsor and current sponsor now. And, and the way that I have gotten those sponsors, and this is what I have found really works for me is I talk to someone who I pay attention to in the rooms who has what I want. And I ask them, who do you think would be a good sponsor for me? Mm-hmm. And then I ask that person. <laughs> You're moving it out mm-hmm. third person. It takes my out choosing out. Yeah. It how, takes my choosing out of it. How cool is it that we ha- have uh, three different approaches to it and that they're all working for us. And I, I think that's an important thing to share is everyone mm. is autonomous, right? We're all different. And, and different things work for different people, but we have one thing in common. We all work the steps with a sponsor, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And that is also my commitment too, is that with every single uh, person that I work with in sponsorship, um, I am committed to working the steps with him or her. And after I have worked the steps with them, if it doesn't feel right, if it's time to move on, then it's okay. But I'm not moving on until I have worked all of the steps with that sponsor. Mm-hmm. That's a commitment I've made to myself. Good deal. I'm a, a crusty enough old timer. I've been around long enough that I've got this old timer thing that I like to say. If somebody says, will you be my temporary sponsor? And I was going, well, you want temporary sobriety? <laughs> <laughs> and then say, of course, I could, I could be your sponsor. And if at any time you want to get another sponsor, you can. It's a key thing to point out. And I also love what I heard <laughs> is all sponsorship is temporary. Somebody's <laughs> going to die. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so true, but it's so sad. Oh, well. God, I was really enjoying this. Uh, I'm glad I could end it on this, a morbid note. But she's you brought know. all this energy and enthusiasm, <laughs> and but it, now I realize we're all going to die. Well, <laughs> ma'am. You know what, though? I was dead when I came in here. I was dead. I was dead on so many levels. I, you know, I, I really probably had less than a month to live when mm. I came in. That's how sick I was on so many different levels. Mm. And so... You know, I just look at, I just got myself a reprieve, right? Right. right. I just, you know, and all these years of joy and more years to come, you know? So, uh, you know, I, I, I choose to look and, and that, that pessimistic person who is going to take her own life. I am so far from her today, you know, and it's, and it's because of you guys, right? It's all because of you. It's all because of this program and, uh, Thanks, I'm going to die sober. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for joining us. It has been an absolute joy doing this with you. 
Absolutely. Sam, it was good to see you again. I didn't even know you'd moved out of, out of the state. So it's good to see you. <laughs> Thank you. Hang on. Oh, watch out. You might want a duck. I mean, oh, owl. No. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of Alcoholics Anonymous and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services.